Welcome to Electronically Yours with Martin Ware. Hello everyone, it's Martin here, Electronically Yours, just for you. This episode is brought to you by me. I'm not sponsored by anyone yet, so if you know anybody, let me know. Um, today's guest is Joe Callis, uh, who's a lovely guy. I've known him uh, since we supported with the early Human League, we supported the Rosillos at the Music Machine, which became Camden Palace, which became Coco, in 1978, I believe it was. And we got on like a house on fire. He's a very kind of chummy guy, very talented too, a bit self-effacing. Like a lot of people that I interview seem to be, you know, the better they are, the less they have to prove, if you know what I mean. Um, so we talk about a lot of interesting stuff on this episode from his start with the Nuts for Dominators, his first band, and the Rosillos and the kind of rock and roll sci-fi stuff where he was called Lukewarm. I love that. And then his band Shake and Boots for Dancing. And then, of course, the Human League years and uh, a few stories about Martin Rushant <clears throat> and the, the amazing amount of contribution he made to all the songs that were written on the first two albums which, um, you know, I know uh, has kept him um, in the manner to which he's become accustomed quite well over the years, um, thanks to the royalties. He's, uh, you know, uh, he's worked with lots of different people. He never played a synthesizer before he joined the Human League, which I think is quite interesting. Uh, but he was, he was in the right place to, to get away just from kind of guitar rock. So... Um, and we find out about the scene in Edinburgh. And, you know, just generally chit-chatting about Martin Russian and Phil and the people he worked with, what he's got coming up. And it's a fascinating thing. So here he is, Joe Callis. <laughs> Oh, all over the place. My dad was in the RAF, so we were shunted about all over the place. Right. East Anglia, south of England, Cyprus, Scotland, you know, all over the bloody place. Did that have an influence on your love of kind of technology and kits and everything? Oh, yeah, I think it must have done, yeah. And and also that, um, you know, that generation we come from was obsessed with the Battle of Britain and World War well and still is yeah obsessed with the Battle of Britain and World War II you know that was uh you know every, every kid would would ask every other kid what did your dad do in the war and all that stuff so it was like five years after the war I suppose when I was born but it was like it was ever present it was still rationing uh yeah. things like that um yeah, yeah. It, it was very austere so it was like the war hadn't really cut, kind of dealt with itself yet, you know. Yeah, yeah. We were losing the peace at that time. We'd won the war, but we were in the process of losing the peace, I think, was the thing, wasn't it? Yeah, I never really, I mean, to me, when I was growing up, I thought it was like, um, you know, I didn't really, th I thought that the, the Second World War seemed like, for, you know, miles away to me. Yeah. It was Oh, no, it, it, it did. On the one hand, it did. Because um, later on in life, you'd think, you know, punk was a big thing in your life and 10 or so years after you know punk was kind of over and done with you thinking god it's longer now since punk happened than 
since I was born and World <laughs> War II finished. You know, it's a, kind of a weird thought. Yeah. So yeah, it was like that. It was, it was kind of history, but it was ever present. And you'd still see, you know, living on RAF stations in the 1950s as a little, you know, as, as a little toddler and that. And your dad would point out the various planes. And some of the planes you'd see were the sort of things they were still be, they would have been using in World War uh, in World yeah, War II. Yeah. Yeah. I'm sure you'd see the occasional Spitfire still, you know. I did um, an interview with uh, with Gary Newman. And, of course, you know, everybody knows he's a pilot and everything. Yeah, but yeah. He grew up as a child. Um out by Heathrow, so he was mm. right on the flight path of all the planes coming in, and he he, he acknowledges that obviously had an influence on his love of technology. Oh yeah, I think I, 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 I don't think it can fail to. Yeah. You know, you'd you'd always be you know, surrounded by these things all the time. You'd be forever with your pals. That's a you know an oster or a, yeah, yeah. a chipmunk or a, something like that. And so I'm like, no, it's another, it's a different, you know, all that kind of yeah, stuff. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, and then you're living on. Um, uh, RAF camps where um, they've got the you know the um, the V bombers for the quick reaction alert and all that. So yeah. you're living a few hundred yards away from um, V bombers tooled up with uh, nukes, you know, ready, yeah, no ready, to, ready to go. Yeah, that, wow. which you don't really think much about at the time. Your head's still full of the dam busters and the Battle of Britain. You've not really got any concept of the enormity of. Uh, like atomic war at the time, you know. Well, interestingly enough, I, I did a, a project out uh, on the East Anglian coast, and it was close, yeah, to, close to Orford Ness, where they had the nuclear bomb uh, housing testing sites and stuff like that. And it's like, what a weird thing that was, you know, just being yeah. in that environment and realizing how, you know. It's one thing reading about it in a book or reading or hearing about it on the news at the time, but actually the reality of it all, you know, is something entirely different. Oh, I know. I remember you. Well, it's a bit later on in life when I was a teenager, but, um, you know, Peter Watkins, The War Game, the, yeah. Yeah, yeah. the film, and there was a book of that, and, I, and I'd go into bookshops and, and, and was, like, obsessed and horrified. You know, you could, the film was actually banned. I, I did eventually get to see it. I think Channel 4 showed it in the 1980s or 1990s when they sort of relinquished the ban. But there was a book about it, you know, an illustrated book, which was the closest you could get to seeing it. And you were sort of fascinated and horrified by uh, yeah. Uh, yeah, by the content of this book. Hide under your desk, right? <laughs> yeah, yeah, very much. And it was one of them things like, what was the big American one, the day after or something? Yeah, there was a yeah. big yeah. American... And and um, Fred set in Sheffield. Yeah, set in Sheffield. Yeah, Fred set in Sheffield. The living daylights out of me. Yeah. Oh, me too. No, I made I made a plan that night. Um, I think with you know Eugene out of the Zillows, we used to meet up on a Sunday night and go clubbing. So it was shown on a Sunday night threads, and like the locations are set from. Yeah. Well, it's it's the neck of the woods I come from anyway, but going up and down, working with the league and stuff like that, you know, catching up yourself. Um, you're very familiar, obviously, with you know Sheffield City Centre yeah, and yeah, the yeah. council buildings and all that. So there's all these landmarks in there. So the plan was sit and go and and go through this harrowing film, and then just go out and get fucking blotto. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah. So um, okay. So let's move on to like, how did the Rosillos come about then? You were in a band called the Nuts for Dominators. It says. Well, the Nuts for Dominators. Yeah, yeah. Which started out as a kind of you know, before you got tribute bands, yeah. Um, well, certainly up, up in Scotland. Anyway, I suppose it was the same. Well, it was the same all over the country. 
the, the, the thing that kicked off the tribute bands thing was, apart from the Elvis impersonators, were what they used to call like uh, the rock and roll revival bands. Yes. Um, everyone would dress up like teddy boys. And, and so, you know, you got Shawadi Wadi out of that, Shananar in America, Fumble, and yeah. all these other kind of retro, retro bands. So it started out very much like that. But we do kind of 60s garage kind of stuff uh, as well. So it's quite right. a bit of a mishmash, but it's great fun. You know, yeah, yeah. It, it, we, we used to have a band at college that, you know, serious prog sort of stuff. Yeah. And it was, uh, we were called Lysander. <laughs> after the Greek, after the Greek hero, uh, Eugene actually played the drums in that. So it was named after the Greek hero more than the, you know, the, the World War II aeroplane. Although Eugene did this beautiful sort of silhouette picture on his drum kit of a Lysander aircraft, but like it looked really good. You know, so anyway. prog rock. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It is like, but you know, you're not called. You're not named yourself after some, you know, a, a fighter or a, a yeah. heavy bomber or anything. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Little reconnaissance aircraft. Yeah. <laughs> a stealthy so, reconnaissance tell us aircraft. Some of the titles of those songs from from that time then. Um, well, in the nuts for dominators, I think our uh, our uh, our uh, uh, one of our best numbers was Crazy Elephant. It was done originally by an American band called Crazy Elephant. Um, what was it called now? Oh God. We actually did a sort of a recording of it um, from Atlanta, Georgia. Da, 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 da. Give me, give me good loving every day. Oh, I love you remember? That song. Give me, give me yeah, good yeah. loving. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We used to love playing that. Yeah, it was a cracker. Mm -hmm. And you know, stuff like Johnny Be Good. Oh, we used to do um, uh, uh, the Bee Gees song. Did it need somebody? Need somebody. The way I the love. The way I love you. Yeah, yeah. yeah I, I love, I love that, that song. song. Yeah. So uh, we did that, just um, and roll over Beethoven. Yeah, you yeah. know, mishmash of like early sixties, late uh, late fifties, you know, and and the the Rosillos sort of evolved out of that, really. Yeah, yeah. Are we, uh, I mean, uh, uh, some of the previous people I've interviewed, obviously, I mentioned Gary Newman, but uh, John Fox, he started doing like blues based kind of famous. Songs. Yeah. With well, it, it was, and stuff like that. Well, it was quite interesting. I was reading an article, reading something about, or watching a documentary about the Sex Pistols, and they started by doing '60s yeah. cover versions, like Who songs and stuff like that, which I never realised. So everybody must have yeah, done that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so how did tell? Um, you know, moving forward, Rosillos. How did that come about then? Um, well, it was really an, it was really a, a development of the Nuts for Dominators. Um, I think I remember like we were having a, uh, a Nutsford uh, rehearsal. I think we, we knew we were going to do something after the Nutsford Dominators kind of. I think we had the name first. Where did and that then, come from? Um, it was um, a comic book. Um, it was the cover of the first, you know, The Shadow, Who Knows What Evil Looks in the Hearts of Men. All right, okay. Uh, and there was a big picture of a shadow on this DC uh, comic cover. He's holding his guns up like that. He's got his mask on and everything. Big nose. And um, in the background is a kind of New York City scene. And there's a uh, there's um, uh, like a neon sign for um, I don't know a, a club or a bar or something. And it says it actually says Revillos on it. Oh yeah. On this sign. And so I think Eugene had the idea of changing the V to a Z. 
So I was just kind of going along with him, thinking, oh, this will amount to nothing, blah, blah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, fair go, we'll do that. So I think, yeah, I think it had the name. And then that evolution out of the the nuts for dominates. Because, you know, you'd have your serious band, like, Nobody fucking interested at all. Yeah, of course, of <laughs> and then you start doing rock and roll cover versions. Oh, and you're the best band in town, you know. Yeah, exactly. That's what <laughs> so I'm yeah, saying. it was a kind of yeah. development of that, which we started out for a bit of a laugh because we still have our serious prog sort of prog rock band on the side, you know, which was going nowhere. <laughs> and then as soon as you start can doing... I sleep with this cassette of Lysander, please. Well... Yeah. <laughs> well, it would we had to, no, the next one we had, the series one we had after that was called Nova Express. Oh, Obviously, that's after, quite a good name. Yeah. well, after the William Burroughs book, you know, Nova oh, Express. Right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And um, although I, I don't think I knew it was a William Bur- Burroughs book at that time, but no, 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 <laughs> someone no. came up with it. So, yeah, that sounds pretty good. Um, there's a big science fiction element to the Rosillos, aren't there? It's kind of, like- yeah, I, I mean, I, I always viewed the Rosillos as just a celebration of popular culture yes. in all its forms, film, music, television, you know, 1970s top of the pops with everyone dressed up like fucking idiots, but it was brilliant. <laughs> I know, well, there were quite a few bands around uh, that time who were kind of semi-theatrical, dressing yeah. like uh, deaf school, well, people like that. And I suppose rock music came into that. Well, yeah, um, yeah I mean, so, you know, things like obviously Dr. Feelgood, yeah. Roxy Music, Johnny Kidd and the Pirates, and a lot of these things were, uh, yeah, they they were uh, hugely influential, and the yeah. Kinks and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. And uh, yeah, you, you know, with an eye with an eye on you know the Shangri Las and and what have you. Yeah, because you know initially there were um, yeah. three girls in the, in the group as well. You know, it's, I mean, it had as many as nine members when everybody pitched up. You know, so you get one night there'd be five or six of you. Another someone would accidentally get left behind because you'd be going in vans and cars to Aberdeen or something. Yeah, and <laughs> someone would, uh, and and then it would get a bit confused. Did you pick up so and so? No, I thought you were picking her up. <laughs> and you'd end up you'd end up at the gig with somebody missing. So <laughs> you just made the best of it, really. Yeah. And um, where, how did you meet uh, Bob Last? Tell me about that. Bob, well, I had uh, a mate called Gavin uh, who worked in the theatre. Um, and he worked in the Travers Theatre in um, in Edinburgh for a while. Right. And during the, you know, he's quite a famous theatre. I was David Bowie's even worked there in his uh, in his earlier. Is that right? Day. Oh. Well, I think he did. Did he not work with when he's worked with Lindsay Kemp? I think they did stuff at the Travers, mime stuff, you know, and all right, that. Right, 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 right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> walking in a high wind. Yeah, all that stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. which is where the moon dance came from if if you've seen a a mime show yeah Yeah. um and um but i uh they were a bit shorthanded during the festival so gavin uh my mate who was stage manager got me a job as uh pretty you know the lowest of the low stage hand and um and and uh during the course of working there right bob uh bob last bob was the he was the assistant stage manager. So, like, he was able to lord it over me. <laughs> and then there was a deputy stage manager. Uh, and then above that was Gav, who was the, the, the head stage manager. And um, if you remember Tim, Tim Pierce? Yes, of course I do. Tim, Tim was the uh, – he did the sound effects and sound right. and stuff like that. And by the end of my 
three or four week stint at the Traverse. I think we poached. I'd poached the entire <laughs> Traverse crew. They used to just pitch up because we'd be doing the odd rehearsal or gig or something. And you get just get like the lighting guy, Ali, a lovely guy. He'd just pitch up at the venue with a couple of lights he'd taken out from the Travellers. Yeah, 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 yeah. And he'd just, you know, off, off his own back, you know. Yeah. Folk would just get involved in them days. You know, it was uh, everyone just helped well, each other that out. Punk, that a punk philosophy, wasn't it? Of, uh, doing yeah, well, it was kind of really before punk, really. Well, I suppose it, it might, the punk thing might have been kicking off in London. But yeah. it was just that, that's, you know. Folk just wanted to be a part. They, they were happy. Just wanted to get involved and be a part of something. You know, they just wanted to be part of, of a laugh. rock and roll vibe. Yeah, just have a bit of a laugh. You know, something a bit different. So yeah. you get that. Like Tim would pitch up and go, "I'll do your sound." Ali would turn up with uh, some lights and go, "Oh, I've got some lights for you." Stuff like that. So you know, we, we have the show right of, here. Yeah, and then um, we. Uh, so we, we, we. I think we. Saw, Tim was kind of unofficial, kind of sound guy, tour manager, road, roadie. Um, I think they probably were uh, uh, were employing him in a slightly more official capacity then, and uh, he said we were a bit short-handed um, as you know as things began to develop. So he suggested getting Bob in as an extra sort of stagehand. So um, so Bob was sort of like stage roadie and you know general humper and stuff like that. And Bob, with his kind of go-ahead initiative, before too long was almost taking over being a tour manager and making yeah. a good job of that. And um, the manager we had at the time, uh, we put out our first record. I think we parted company with him. And we had a sort of crisis meeting actually around at Bob's. And I'd been thinking, Bob would actually make a good manager. Um, and I'm thinking, um, I don't know how the rest of the band will feel about that, but I'm going to moot that idea when we have this right. Right. sort of crisis meeting. So we're all sat around the table and I'm waiting for Bob's kind of chair. But this time Bob's chairing the meeting and everything. It's in his gaff and he's chairing the meeting a lot, you know. So um, and I'm saying I'm waiting for my moment to moot this idea of like, you know, what about Bob being the manager? How would you feel about that, Bob? When Faye Fife just piped up, well, we need a manager, Bob. And I think you're it. <laughs> <laughs> and I was quite relieved. I thought, oh, thank God for that. It's like, so I seconded that motion immediately, yeah. So that's how Bob sort of became right. manager for it. And much, how, old, yeah. how old was he at that point? Um, I think we were all in our uh, sort of early to mid-20s, I suppose. Yeah. I, was, I, was, I mean, I was in my mid-20s by then. Yeah, I'd, yeah. you know, just finished art. Eugene, too. You know, we just finished art college, really, yeah. the sort of year before. And so, so you got signed to uh, was it Sire? Mm. Signed to, um, and um, you had a hit straight out of the bag, didn't you? Really, I suppose. I mean, most well, we people had to build it up over a while, and you just well, in a, in a way, we did. I mean, obviously, we'd done the groundwork. We, yeah. I mean, we did something like in our first year of trading, as it were. <laughs> we did like the best part of three hundred gigs in one year. We'd sometimes you do. Two gigs a night, you know, 200 and God knows how many gigs. And we'd be doing like one at lunchtime, one at night, or wow. uh, or sometimes one at early evening, another set of gear set up somewhere um, in another venue, and we'd just bomb from one to the next. Straight, you know, just straight from uh, out the backstage door from one gig, crammed into the back of a van across to like Dunfermline or somewhere, you know, just to north of Edinburgh, <laughs> straight in to do another gig. Yeah, so it was, it was quite it was quite edgy, quite exciting. It's intense, yeah. isn't it, really? I yeah, think. yeah. 
So what were the pressures that led to, I mean, you were doing okay. And of course, you very kindly put us on a support when you played. That's uh, right. The first time Camden I met you Palace. guys. What was it? Yeah. Called? I can't remember, actually. It was the Music Machine. Music uh, Machine. Which became the Camden Palace. Yeah, and that's right. Coco, yeah. And now it's been reconstructed yet again. It's been bought by a hedge fund, I think, by all accounts. Oh, oh not bloody hedge funds that destroy <laughs> everything. Yeah, great. I was watching a documentary about them. We were quite... We're, we sort of locked out a bit in the Rosillos. I mean, you know, went to America to record the album. And, you know, that all went pretty well. And we, we, we worked with Bob Clearmount, and he pretty much produced yeah. it. Well, we had Tony Bon Jovi. Was the, at, they had this sort of production team, which was Tony Bon Jovi, who was ill for quite a lot of the time. This guy, Lance Quinn, who did Fuck All. Um, I think it was just, they just wrote, got him in on the credits because he was one of, the, right. one of their mates or something. Right. Um, and Bob, who was the engineer, Bob Clearmountain. But Bob was doing all the work. And I think the album was going to be credited to uh, production, uh, production-wise to Tony Bon Jovi. But we really made a big deal about Bob. Right. You know, Bob did right. the album with us. We'd never have done it without Bob. We want Bob to have a production credit on yeah. that. And it's, and lo and behold, uh, he, he did appear, you know, uh, on the right. production press. So we'd like to think that we helped him on his way. He'd have got there anyway. He was brilliant. Yeah, you know? he was a wonderful and, and a lovely guy, a great guy as well. Right. You've met him, I take it, Bob. I've never yeah. met him, but I'm an enormous right. um, fan of his work, historically. Yeah, I mean, I think within within a few months of, uh, of you know, of us working with him, he was, he, was, he was doing something with Bob Dylan, you know, things like that, you know. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, you're all delighted to see him doing really well because exactly. we all just absolutely loved him. You know, we thought he was brilliant. And he took no shit either, you know, <laughs> either. He's <laughs> so you great. Were, you were called uh, Luke Warm, is that right? <laughs> That's right, yeah. <laughs> well, that, you know, you know, every, um, in, you know, in the days of Cream and Jimi Hendrix and, uh, and anyone that was a good guitar, uh, you know, Red Hot, uh, a good guitarist was referred to as Red Hot. Have you seen that band where so and so playing the guitar oh, is Red Hot? Right, so okay. I thought, yeah, well, I'll be lukewarm. <laughs> <laughs> I think I'm not going to claim to be Red Hot. You know. Yeah, I can relate to that definitely. Um, that's brilliant. And then, so we move on to Shake. What was Shake all about? Oh, well, yeah, that was talk um, about why why the Rosillo split up. You said it was more or less your fault, was it? Uh, well, I, I suppose, uh, you know, in the words of Ziggy Stardust, I had to break up the band in a way. All right. uh, I sort of led a rebellion. I'm, I'm terrible for rebe joining the rebellion and then getting a bit fed up with it and rebelling against the rebellion. That's right. <laughs> usually what I do. But, um, yeah, I mean, I think just, you know, he, you start off all pals from Mark College and stuff like that. And then, you know... All, all, all the little niggles set in and things go to people's heads and stuff like yeah. that. So, yeah. yeah, it just started to get a bit ridiculous. So, band, I mean, band I can't are, remember the specifics of it, but... Uh, yeah, bands are a problem uh, with politics, I find. I, I well, there, you have the situation as well of, like, the two singers were an item. They were, they were going out with each other. So they formed sort of their own clique, yeah. uh, in a way. And then you had myself, <laughs> Ali and Simon... Uh, you know, Ali and Simon, the rhythm section. And um, I suppose we had ideas of what we, we'd like to be doing after a while, you know, yeah. after it all gets a bit too intense and, yeah, yeah. you know, folks start throwing strops and all that kind of thing, yeah. God, I can do without all that. I've decided not but to. But that, that was a big part yeah. of Bob's learning process because um, 
you know, that was the first time he'd experienced that situation, you know, as, as competent as he was uh, with things, you know, be, uh, being self-taught as well, I guess. And he said he drew, um, you know, when the when the league split up, the original league split up, he said he'd used the experience from the Rosillo split up that he was never happy with the way he handled because, you know, nobody really got the benefit. I mean, they wanted to, um, uh, the ones that, uh, you know, Faye and Eugene and their Revillos offshoot, Obviously, they wanted to use the name, and I was under a lot of pressure from their record company. I think it was Dindisk at the time. I can't remember now exactly. Yeah, so I was under pressure from them to give them the name, which would be unheard of in this day and age. You know, yeah. like it would be a monetary offer, wouldn't it? You'd get. Yeah, yeah. But then it was all go and let them use the name. I'd be no, no. I didn't want us to use the name. I wanted to, you know to kind of start from scratch again. But nobody really got the benefit of it at the end of the day. So I think when the league split happened, I think Bob realised, I think it's probably Bob's savvy in that he realised that even at that stage, the importance of the brand, which is what it's all about now, it isn't it? Heavily into as brand, tragic as yeah. that is, the fucking brand. Yeah. But I think he was became aware of that, that brand idea. And the name has, you know, uh, the name of the band or whatever has value. Yeah. So uh, that it might as well be exploited, you know. In one no, way or another, I agree. So um, then you went on to form uh, Shake. Is that right? mm. Yeah, Shake S S dot H dot A dot K dot E dot. <laughs> what does that stand for then? Uh, <laughs> Come on, you. you're I don't, it, didn't, it, it didn't. It didn't actually stand for anything, but you oh, know, it was right. meant to sound a bit like the man from Uncle. Oh, but, I get it. But um, my 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 uh, meaning uh, for what it uh, for what it meant was. Sounds horrendous and kills everything. <laughs> <laughs> Very good. But uh, right, we used to have Motorhead's road crew, and they used to say, "You're even fucking louder than Motorhead." Oh my god! <laughs> Which I that's, took as an accolade. That one of my that, greatest that accolades. Pretty, in rock and roll. Cool, actually. Yeah. One of Motorhead's road crew actually said, "You're fucking louder than Motorhead." Oh my god! <laughs> that's something. So uh, after that, that didn't that didn't last long. How long does that last? Uh, yeah, it sort of. Uh, there was it was always like there was unfinished business there because um, it, it it there was that period when all I don't know if you remember that kind of late seventies going early eighties record companies. Got, I don't know. They had one of their panics, and they were too they were too scared to sign anybody. Um, yeah. um, they were getting afraid afraid of signing anybody. And then, uh, obviously, Seymour Stein, was running uh, Sire. Seymour Stein kept us on Sire. And uh, we sort of fulfilled the contractual obligations for the Rosillos, in, in a way. Right. So we signed to Sire. Um, what became the Rosillos went their way. I think they signed to Dindis. And um, who was, which was Carol, what was her name? Carol Wilson. Work. Carol Wilson. At the, so she had, um, Vir, she was Virgin Publishing at the time but uh and so she had my publishing uh had the publishing so which i think that remained but um uh, then i think she was put in charge of starting dindis was, was she yeah i mean she, she involved uh, in the startup of it as a virgin yeah. subsidiary and she signed you did she did you said you were on um at one point? we we uh, i we were signed for publishing still oh, with publishing. virgin publishing yeah. I can't remember at that point how much Carol had to do with it, but I remember her setting up or yeah, yeah. being a part of the setup for Dindis. So she signed the um, the, the Revillos. Uh, I've forgotten what the question was now. No, I didn't know. 
Let's move on to Boots for Dancing. Oh, Boots for Dancing. Tell yeah. me about that. Um, I think I was, I was sort of a, a, a bit of an impasse. We were, no, we, well, we, well with, with the shake thing, which kind of leads into the Boots for Dancing thing. Um, so we were signed to uh, Sire with Seymour yeah. Stein at the helm. Yeah. Yeah. And um, Seymour all of a sudden got interested in, uh, interested in the Pretenders. And um, I think he was quite keen on art. So, like, sometimes rather than invest some money in one of his bands, he got to fancy that painting. Oh, and a few, right. gra- okay. and a few grams of chili or, so, <laughs> or something <laughs> like that. So, we don't know. But he, he, he got really interested in the Pretenders. So, I think we were just kind of pretty much brushed aside. Oh, see, yeah. But we kind of kept on going. Um, and for a while, you, you remember Troy uh, that went on, Troy Tate went on to join Teardrop Explodes. Yeah, that's so right. We, so we used to kind of employ Troy as and when, you know, he was like the fourth member and quite crucial to the thing, really. You know, it made up the it made up the chemistry and made up the numbers, uh, Troy's character, really. So we couldn't really afford to, you know, pay Troy's expenses. I mean, that's probably about all we did was... Mm. Uh, it was probably all we could afford to pay his expenses to come up and down to Edinburgh and he'd sleep on someone's couch. You know, the way you, the way you did it in those days. It was yeah, all rough yeah, and yeah. ready and, uh, yeah. you know, all in the spirit of the times. Um, so we kind of struggled on for a while. but it, So he just kind of fizzled out. We never really split up or broke up or anything like that. It just fizzled out, you know, right. uh, leaving, uh, you know, debts. I think Bob, Bob footed some of them and i footed the rest i think so right, right. you know about four grand debt then so right. what's that in today's money about 15 grand or <laughs> more something like that isn't it? um so, so right let's let's move on because time wear of time um all right sorry, uh, uh, let's move on to the league basically how you i mean that right. it came through bob didn't it yeah yeah well yeah and um because i got to know i was getting to know you guys we'd all you'd yeah. come up to edinburgh all, yeah down in Sheffield, we'd all sort of hang out and stuff like that. That's right. And Adrian would keep going on about his, I want to write this song called The Blob, about the film <laughs> The Blob starring Steve McQueen. <laughs> so I, I, Bob had obviously been engineering things behind the scenes, yeah. you know, being the Svengali, which I was like naively unaware of, yeah, of course. But, but um, yeah, I just remember sort of getting together with Adrian and uh, writing this sort of novelty song about The Blob. Um, with him uh, on a porter studio <laughs> up here in Edinburgh, and then yeah, I suppose I just started going to, coming up and down to Sheffield um, to sort of work writing with them. And I remember on one of the first visits, uh, you you gave me a rundown of um, the basics of uh, working of uh, working with synthesis, yeah, working with synths, yeah, yeah. With, with, which I thank you for eternally, you know, because it the way you explain and you. And you and, you showed me, you know, the play in a day, the Burt Whedon book was the right. Bible of guitar players, how we all learn to play. And you knew the keyboard version of that. <laughs> so you you pointed out this book. I think I've still got it somewhere. And it gave you all the, you know, the block chords for yeah, yeah, yeah. C, A, you know, all, all, all the chord things. And um, yeah, so that was quite invaluable. Thank you for that, Martin. Yeah, It's all right. I, I like to think in some small way that I contributed to the success of Dare. <laughs> yeah. No, but it, it gave you a lot. You know, I mean, just presenting with a synthesizer, um, if, you, if you're yeah. a guitarist, you'd have just been like pushing buttons to, to <laughs> not knowing what really did what. But, you know, so, you I mean, were showing I, me. Uh, 
for the listeners, for the listeners, I've got to uh, inform them that you know Joe obviously is a, is a great songwriter, but he's predominantly a, uh, a guitarist. So when mm. he gets brought into the uh, the new Human League situation, you were just given the job of, be, of being one of the key, you know, co-writer and keyboard player. Really. Well, yeah, effectively, yeah. Because yeah. you couldn't, you weren't allowed to play guitar. Is that right? Not in this, yeah, initially. In that but that was fine by me. I mean. I was getting a bit jaded, you know, uh, at that point. Um, the Boots for Dancing thing had been great. Um, that was really great fun. Very much local band thing. Yeah. And we, we, we were about to get an NME cover feature. And uh, the, uh, the the guys, you know, one or two of the guys, well, Dave, the singer, uh, you know, they didn't really want to, they didn't, you know, I don't think they had the bottle to go the next level, you know. Right. So um, between Bob and myself, we got, Boots for dancing, sort of off the ground, and then they just decided they'd rather turn back and land on the deck of the aircraft carrier oh, again, so to speak. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, it was, but but for that, I probably wouldn't have ended up joining the Human League. And exactly. Boots for dancing probably would have been one of them, you know, NME cover feature bands for a week, and then you know, like Shed Seven and the, uh, yeah. a lot of these bands you got huge for a week, and then the NME move on to someone else. So it could have just been one of them sort of things. Yeah. Um, so tell me about um, the, you know, the working process at that time of uh, of the league, because obviously we were making penthouse and pavement at the time. And, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we're week, uh, a week uh, a week in a week out, wasn't it? You uh, yeah, have the you have the rat, the rat Sometimes it was uh, daytime and nighttime. You know, we yeah, yeah. nights and you'd do days or whatever. Oh, yeah, that's right. Yeah, we, yeah, yeah. I used to come down every alternate week, didn't I, I think? Yeah. Yeah. And um, so tell us about, you know, what, what the kind of songwriting process would, would involve at that point. Um, How did you get started? You know, who started them? Well, I'd, um, I'm just trying to think what the fuck, I've got fucking roof right, work going tell, on. Tell you about Don't You Want Me. Oh, don't you want me? Was um, Adrian fiddling about with uh, with a synthes like um, he's fiddling about with a uh, that uh, the little Roland sequencer, you know, the modular sequencer. Oh right, yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and he's got some ludicrous thing going on there. This little, I don't know, it sounded like sort of a bizarre radio signal or something. Right. You know, some yeah. some kind of science fiction film or something. And I'm sort of listening to that, think, wondering what the fuck's he doing. <laughs> and I sort of managed to um, get some of the, uh, uh, you know, the, the, the fundamental notes out of that as as a sort of a riff, you know, by sort of yeah, slowing yeah. it all down in my head right. and working out. But Adrian's version was. Because I thought, you know, I was going to all these uh, new romantic clubs and things like that, and they were playing like Cody Monday, King Creole and the Coconuts and all that stuff. So I thought, well, could get something with a bit of a Latin feel uh, in there, you know, but a bit syncopated. So that sort of set the ball rolling. Um, And I think, yeah, then we'd probably just have, um, because we used to use that rolling modular thing just to get, it's take all night just to get a drum pattern in time, yeah. you know, with the yeah. that sequencer yeah, triggering yeah. a synth for the that was uh, you know set up for a bass drum sound. That's right. Yeah. Something else, so you get the. <laughs> 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 
yeah, really haphazard. <laughs> but um, so you get that as best as you could. And I think I would just start jamming along on the on yeah. uh, the uh, the Juno Juno Four was it? But, Juno. Uh, oh God, Juno One Hundred Six was it at that time? It was prior to that, but it was it was the only thing. Oh, Jupiter Four, you mean? Well, it might have been Jupiter for you, yeah. but it was yeah, 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 Jupiter four, and it was sort of polyphonic and had some quite nice. Presets. Yeah, Jupiter four. I've still got one. In fact, look. Oh, oh it's a great bit of kit, that. Yeah, there you go. There it is. Yeah, and the yeah. system one hundred. Yeah. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Is, is is this all different kit or is that that yeah. is the very? Not only is that the very stuff, but it's also laid out almost exactly yeah, yeah. how it was in it's the uh, in the old Vets place in Sheffield. Yeah. No, actually, is that, that's what, not the original stuff, no, no, is it? Uh, Vince Clark. Bought me yeah. that for Christmas one year. Oh, very nice. Yeah. yeah. Well, not too before, actually. That's on loan from a friend of mine in, in Dublin. But um, well, I love the I love the Jupiter Four because um that would have been the one that you showed me. You know, here's the ADSR. That's yeah, that was it, yeah. it's my that's still you. my favorite synth, by the way. The Jupiter. Oh, I, I loved it. Well, what I loved about it was you could just get a preset, adjust it a little bit. That's and right. you and you and you could just be off and running. So instead of fucking about all day trying to get a sound, you just got on with trying to write a song. Yeah, and they went um, back to fucking around all day. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. It doesn't take long till you're <laughs> fucking about with the sound, you know, and not writing the song. But but initially, it, you know, it was like like you would do at home. You you just pick up your guitar and start strumming until you kind of came up with something. Exactly. So you know, you just and then when you got like the the kind of backing track done, it, it, Phil would take. Would Phil take the and do the top line and do the lyrics, or was well, that Phil, shared or what? Phil came. Um, I remember Phil coming in. You know, we had this started, I think, because uh, myself and myself and Adrian would go in at night, I think, and Phil and Ian would go in during the day. Right. So um, we sort of did it, did it in well, for a lot of it. We did it in shifts like that. Then it would more kind of cross over a bit. Yeah. And, and I remember Phil coming in with his big uh, full scat book full of lyrics and he had um it was kind of more or less the bridge section of of uh, of the song um he had a kind of vocal he had some lyrics and a melody for that bit which married up quite nicely with what i'd got so far so i kind of just worked out a chord progression for his uh, melody and lyrics um and yeah it all kind of you know so we had Part of the lyrics, I think, uh, no chorus yet, um, but where the chorus would be, you know. Yeah, well, so, but no, so how did the chorus come about? Because it is one of the great pop choruses. Well, I know, yeah. That, that <laughs> yeah, so we had this kind of gap where there would obviously be a chorus. And we'd actually recorded pretty much the entire backing track in, in genetic. You know, we sat and worked through the arrangement yeah. with Martin, which we do on a guitar. You, Martin had this old uh, ovation guitar, and I'd uh, and we'd all sit around the desk on uh, on um, in a sort of semicircle on stools and chairs. And uh, right, Joe, there you go. Give me the right-handed. I'm left-handed, as you know, Martin. Yeah. So I'd be upside down playing the, the root <laughs> chords, you know, on the ovation guitar, and Martin would be kind of directing the structure of the of the song. Um, so. Um, so yeah, then we had the thing programmed up, uh, all the parts laid down, um, which was interesting in itself. Um, but that was the first time I got to use a guitar actually, because we were triggering the the big system eight hundred to a part a part that was programmed in, but we, but the guitar was sort of triggering a gate, so yes, it wasn't yes. really 
So it was just the strumming action, really, that was, you know, that it sort of opens up with. So it's the synth programmed up from the MC4 that's just doing it. That's a good And I'm just triggering the rhythm of it. That's all I'm doing. But it was great. Guitar on a Human League record, stealthily. But, you know, so we had the backing track and then, Martin was forever badgering Phil to come up with lyrics, you know, when they went back to Sheffield for the weekend. When you come back, Phil, have some bloody lyrics, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing. <laughs> so I remember Phil, like, Phil, um, uh, the next time we met up at Genetic and Phil's, remember, we're standing in the doorway, I remember it clearly. We were standing in the doorway going into the, the live room and Phil's got his bits of paper out. He's going, Joe, I've got this idea for the chorus, right? Uh, and we didn't have a title for it. Um, me and Dave Allen used to play with Dave Allen, who was the engineer. Yeah. And we, we'd just sit there singing along to this backing track and we'd sing, I'm a cunt, you're a cunt, <laughs> we're all cunts. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> so that was the lyrics at first. <laughs> me and Dave's lyrics. Great. Well, that's... Nobody, you know, nobody's going to mention anything else about this podcast about from part. <laughs> that's all that's going. I to did be. not say. I did not say the c word, ladies. <laughs> I know it offends some of you, but um, I remember Phil standing was standing in the doorway of the live room. Phil's got his bits of paper out. He's going right. What do you think about this for the for the uh, chorus, Joe? And he's going, "Don't you want me, baby?" Don't you want me? Oh, I, I honestly thought he was taking the piss at first. I thought you're having, uh, you're winding me up, mate. You're having a laugh. But then as that as that sunk in, I, I thought actually that's, that's so that's so simple and direct. Yeah. It's fucking brilliant. But at first, before you, just about when I was about to burst out laughing, I actually thought, no, hang on a minute. There's a you know there's a simple pop thing going on there isn't there it? Is. a very straightforward pop thing yeah, yeah let me tell you a, sto uh, a story about the the early is that a, is it a Max, Max Bygraves one let, let me, me tell, tell you a story, story. Um, <laughs> that we weren't allowed to use even use the word love in the yeah but in, in the in the first version of the human league so this was probably Phil coming out of the closet a bit about oh, perhaps, about yeah, using yeah. Love. I've, ne that had never occurred to me like that, but now I think about it. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. That would have been the first Human League song that directly yeah. addressed it. And that's so Phil is gone from we are never going to use that word to here's the one of the most famous uh, you know kind of titles for a pop song ever. That, yeah, yeah, yeah exactly. Yeah, mm. who's gonna forget that? Incidentally, but, just as a little aside, I just remembered um in Shake, we never did it live, but we did, rehearsed a rock version of um, um, No Future, no, no, um, Path of Least Resistance. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. yeah. I'd love to have heard that. If you've got a tape of it, I want to hear it. Somewhere, it's it's on a, a really bad rehearsal cassette because wow. we used to record our rehearsals on a cassette. Yeah, yeah, so yeah. I've got it somewhere, yeah. Oh, yeah. Try and dig it out. I'd love to hear that. Yeah, I'll, well, yeah, I'll, look, I'll look out for it one day, so yeah. For the uh, podcast listeners, I just want to... Uh, inform you so save you uh, looking it all up and so uh, Joe can have a fag. Um, <laughs> yeah, absolutely, my only my only remaining vice. Your only remaining vice. Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, Joe was involved in in writing on Dare. He was involved in writing "Open Your Heart," "Darkness," "Seconds," "Don't You Want Me," 
hard times and non-stop and that's not a bad uh, swathe of that album i'd say yeah um that must be your pension fund i, I presume is that right yeah well yeah it's um, it's what i like to think of as your um you know, you know, after you, you know, you'll have been through all the same shit with meetings with accountants and yeah, yeah. financial advisors. Advisors, I can't think of the word now, but it's like your assets. You know, yeah, that's yeah, your yeah. Tra- it's a it's your tradable commodity. If yeah, you like. that's right, that's right, and, and that's what it becomes. And you're sort of part horrified and part pleased with yourself when you kind of realise that. Yeah, you know, I think I came out of a meeting with that I had with Bob one day, and, and it sort of dawned on me that catalogue is like a tradable commodity. Oh, it definitely like. is. Um, that's the first time it kind of occurred to me, yeah. Mm. Well, there are, there are some people uh, around now, a friend of mine called Merc- Mercuradis, who runs a thing called Hyp- Hypnosis. Um, and they, I think they, I've heard of that, yeah. Yeah, they, they buy people's uh, IP. Uh, mm. They're a publishing catalogue, and they pay you up front for it, and then they take, you know, it's like... Uh, they 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 take your you know whatever proportion of of your um, uh, uh, of your earnings that you decide to give them yeah but they they you can monetize it up front so I don't know if you ever need well I did I something I touch, if you're I did um, I did um, via another sort of manager who was quite good at doing deals but not very good at following them up I did a sort of um, here he got um, it was it was called a futures deal at the time yeah, this is, yeah. oh twenty five. Yeah. Or so years ago. So I did a life of copyright deal with Ministry of Sound for my um, uh, entire catalogue, which had been on Warner Brothers at the time. Right. Yeah, for, via Bob. Uh, but you remember Bob had Sound Diagrams publishing. Right. Yeah. Yeah. So I was signed to Bob. He he was licensed. Uh, he licensed uh, to uh, Warner Brothers to yeah. do all the admin. Yeah, yeah. And Warner Brothers weren't working the catalogue at all. Yeah. You know, they weren't. They weren't. Uh, they weren't exploiting it or anything. Yeah. Um, and I think once the term of that ran out, um, we did this um, what was called a futures deal, where I, I, uh, I gave like life of copyright um, to at the time it was Ministry of Sound um, for the catalogue. So I, you know, I'm still accounted to for royalties and things like that, but I can't, uh, you know. Do other deals, obviously on my right, right, right. on my publishing. It's um, it's uh, it's all technically owned by uh. Oh, uh right. But you got some money up front. You got some money up front. Oh yeah, which the tax man took a fucking hefty share of. As well, you know, always I always does, say yeah. about tax. If you if you're earning money enough to be paying the top rate of tax, then you must be earning plenty of money. You know, so I I, I don't. Yeah, think. yeah, but you I know, mean, with it, with hindsight, yeah. it 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 would have been better to get the. Uh, I mean, you know, I was managing okay. It wasn't like I was yeah. desperately needed. You know, I was managing okay. Um, but, you know, with hindsight, it would have been better to have that, have those paid in installments. Yeah. I can't remember then if the 60% oh, tax thing still existed. Yeah. yeah. So I'd have been better getting that in more manageable installments, you know, yeah. so much a year over three or four years. Yeah, really. of course. No, you're right. Um, but that, you know, you li- your financial advisor, give him a good kick in. He should have told yeah. you. I don't I might not have had a financial advisor at that oh, time. That's the that, problem, I that, right? I think that came a bit later. The guy yeah. I've got now is actually really anyway, good. back to the music. So um then <clears throat> you co-wrote a load of stuff on hysteria. The second yeah, new yeah. league album. I just want to run through that as well. So you did. I love you too much, Louise. The Lebanon. 
the sign, Life on Your Own, Don't You Know I Want You. I want you, yeah. Um, I think that was the only one I wrote with Ian, I think, Don't You Want to Know Don't, right. um, don't yeah. You Know I Want But what? So the recording of Hysteria, tell us about that period with the league, because that was a point of stress. Fucking it? painful. <laughs> Oh yeah, it was it, <laughs> fucking want, painful. Podcast <laughs> listeners, I want you to. I want to tell you, I'm not yeah. encouraging him to go down this route. <laughs> I'm not winding him up. Carry it, but yeah. do, do please carry on. Well, let, let's just say at that point, I'd rather have been in Death Leopard doing their hysteria. <laughs> 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 um, <laughs> but um, what, for what? What? Why was it so painful? I think it was the thing. I think it was the follow. You know, I think it was that the second album, uh, Panic, because I think everyone's expectation, certainly in the group, of what became Dare, was that, you know, it, it would do probably about as well, maybe a little bit better than uh, Travelogue, you know. Yeah. It, it, we might get into the hundreds of thousands of sales. Yeah, yeah, of course. So I don't think anyone was really prepared for it to kind of go stratospheric the way yeah. it did. So, you know, we still had, I think, that very much kind of independent Mind. mentality and you know integrity and all that so you know that was that was a uh, 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 probably um, a, a bigger surprise to us when what happened with dare than, than anybody else yeah. we didn't even think don't you want me would would have been any good for a single you know we didn't even see it as a single really? uh, i think you know the record companies and other people kind of saw that um and when we started um Obviously, after that, we did um, we recorded Mirror Man and Fascination. But, By the you know, way, I think we did quite well. Mirror Man and Fascination, which would have been on a second album. Yeah, Mirror Man and Fascination are great, great songs. By the way, I think. Oh yeah, Fascination is one of my favorite. That and Seconds, I think, are my sort of yeah. favorites out of the ones I've done. Phil was doing some great stuff as well. He had, did a song called Gold, which only appeared on a B side. He did it all himself. Wow. Um, which I, and I thought it was brilliant. And it just ended up as a B-side. Um, but, we, you know, we started recording what would become Hysteria, with, still with Martin Russians. Yeah. And uh, that was going quite nicely. You know, we had about half a dozen tracks either recorded or, you know, getting there. Yeah, yeah. And that, that, that relationship kind of fell apart, really. Um, I think Martin wanted more credit. I mean you never really knew what was going on behind the scenes. You know, Phil would be quite secretive or about a, a certain amount of things. So I was kind of out of the loop of a lot of what was going on. But that relationship, unfortunately, began to fall apart. And twice I managed to patch it up. Um, I put a lot of effort into trying to keep that yeah, together, yeah. actually, as I recall. I remember, you know, going for a drink with Martin and persuading him to, like, stick with it and, It'd last for a couple of weeks, then it'd fall apart. You know, it's like a couple breaking up, you know, yeah. get back together for a couple of weeks, then the same problems rear their heads, and then you get make up and get back for another week or two. And yeah. So um, you know, it's unfortunate because we were getting on really well with the with the recording of it. And the, um I, you know, I was quite happy with how the tunes were starting to sound yeah. and starting we were using like the Roland uh Ian was starting to use the, um, you know, we had the Roland uh, synth uh, guitar bass. I love bass. that machine. I love that. And um, the, the GR synth G G7. guitar. Yeah, yeah. Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, I can't GR7, remember. that's it, yeah. Was it GR7? The, the little blue box that went on the floor. Yeah, yeah. It weren't that great, but it was the 
first the tracking step. was a bit slow, wasn't it? But um, yeah, all yeah, you did all sorts of issues, but you know, you got round them. Yeah. Um, like to to record um the riff da, 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 on fascination to stop all the guitar strings, all the the open guitar strings vibrating in sympathy um, with what you're playing on a couple of high strings. We had to had to muffle them with toilet paper yeah, and we, stuff like done, that. We used to do all that stuff as well. Yeah, yeah. and then you'd sample bits because um, we just started sampling. We had those AMS. Martin had those AMS samplers. So yeah. between two of them, you could get a two-second loop uh, oh, two kind seconds. of thing. Yeah, um, but that was going great, and uh, yeah, that that all kind of fell apart. And um, uh, so you know, I think a mini album came out of that, didn't it? That I yeah. think was just for export. Which is kind of, I don't know, a bit of a blank round, really, in a lot of respects. But, you know, Fascination and Miraman did quite well. And they would have been leading tracks on what would have been Hysteria. Yeah. And um, so it would have had some strong singles on it had we completed it with Martin. Right. Um, but, yeah, it would. It, I mean, if everyone could have just gritted their teeth and seen that through. Yeah. Um, I think it wasn't, wasn't, much... wasn't Martin having some... I think Bob, I remember Bob mentioned that. Oh, he was having marital difficulties marital as well. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah, that was pretty horrendous for I Martin. Think, yeah. I mean, you know, being... Or was that a bit later on? I can't remember. I can't remember. Yeah, it was probably around about that time. Yeah. yeah. Being being in the studio 12 hours a day, six days a week, isn't very good yeah. marriage. I can confirm that. Um, no, that was a shame. Yeah, he was pretty... Yeah, that... He, yeah, that probably factored into that. I mean, that was probably going on, but we didn't know about it. Until okay. it, I think a bit later on, it became yeah. it became more evident. But yeah, Martin probably had all that going on, so yeah. his head was probably like. So you anyway? So you, you, so, how, so you eventually, despite being the the um, Kissinger of the group, <laughs> uh, and being the diplomat yeah. um, and the most kind of amenable person, the glue. Um, you, you must have got to the point where the you, glue that failed, yeah, unfortunately, yeah. the glue that dissolved, <laughs> the glue that didn't hold, yeah. Um, uh, when did you dissolve yourself from the group then? Well, I, I just that think happen? that you know, the the pros, you know, um, I, I sort of think behind sight the the thing with um, the mentality that we should have had with um, the follow up to Dare, if you like, should have just been. Get an album out as as yeah. quick as possible. Yeah, yeah. Capitalize on Dare's success. It'll probably get slated um, by the reviews, but it'll do well. You know, yeah, yeah. it's still on the crest. You know, it's still catching that wave. Yeah, you're keeping the ball um, rolling. And yeah, and um, and then then go for your next masterpiece after that. Yeah. Um, uh, but you know, then that whole mentality of we've got to do an album and it's got to be better than Dare and um, you know, people weren't making the decisions right. on on the on the, the on the on the songs themselves. So they ended up sounding a lot of them a bit like demos. Uh, I felt right. they, they all, a lot of them ended up sounding a bit unfinished. Apart from things like I was always pleased with the Lebanon because Chris Thomas, who was producing us then, I had a little de um, a little demo of it of the backing track which I'd done at home. On, again on port studio and uh, chris was really excited about uh, about that and he couldn't wait to start doing the, uh, to doing the lebanon so there was a real vision for that track um 
Chris was brilliant. You know, he, he just had all these ideas for it. And, um, and you know, we coalesced all that. And, you know, it turned, that for me, it turned out, for me, not, um, not blowing my own trumpet, but for me, it's the most complete track on the on the album. I yeah, think. I think you it's know, really good. It's got a vision. It's got a distinct sound. It knows where it's going, you know. Yeah. And it's great. I mean, I love, I've played it actually live on a few occasions um, with various little kind of one-off band things. I played with a tribute band, an 80s tribute band. I played it with them one night. These guys and you had an really? 80s tribute band. Oh, yeah. They did a few Human League songs as well. And uh, it's, and it's great to play, you know, just to yeah. play the guitar bits. It's, it's, yeah, yeah. it's great. Yeah. Tremendous. Okay. So moving on to, um, uh, obviously you left the band and then, you briefly joined them to write um, Heart Like a Heart Like a Wolf. Yeah, well, I never. I, I think I learned very, very quickly. Don't burn your bridges. Yeah, you know, because yeah. I've kind of made a tried to make a point of that in my life is to never burn bridges. So I'd always said, um, you know, I'm quite happy. I mean, I think the process just got it just got too much for me, yeah. um, and I ended up going, going to Australia and getting married. Did you? <laughs> But oh. which time I came back and Hugh Padgham was now the producer of uh, right, of, right. of Hysteria. So it was so bitty and drawn out. And I think I just couldn't stand it anymore, I think. Yeah. Um, it, it, with, with with hindsight, perhaps I should have stuck it out, really. But um, I don't know. You make you know it, you're I, younger. I've always of the opinion that, you know, in your career and life general, you know, you, you make an authentic decision at the time. Well, you've got it's to live by it. Yeah. it. You can't. Yeah, no, absolutely, yeah, um, absolutely. And I, I suppose naively I thought there might be more opportunities for me than than there actually were, you know, coming out of the Human League. But it was like nobody said I'd left, so it was like nobody thought I'd left the Human League. Right. I, I realised that when you leave a band, it's up to you to make a big fucking yeah, deal about it. Yeah, a big deal out of and it. I, and I, I, I never knew, I, I just thought, I'll get inundated with phone calls. Why did you leave the Human League? But absolutely nothing. <laughs> and then, and then eventually, you know, months later, someone had asked Phil in, in uh, about, you know, why did Joe leave, or did, has Joe left, or why did he leave? And Phil said, "Oh, I think he had a headache or something." Oh, <laughs> <okay>. <laughs> that was about it. I had a headache. Yeah, fucking no, massive. I one. need to ask you a question. <laughs> so, if you were to put a you know, in the time, in the two, say, the two main albums that you were involved with were the first two new ones, right? So Dare and um, Hysteria. Hysteria, yeah. Yeah, what, if you were to put a kind of percentage, I mean, you know, I'm not going to hold you to it. It's just a, a, mm -hmm. a daft idea. If you were to put a percentage of what you, uh, in terms of the songwriting, what, how how much would you say you were responsible for the vibe oh. of the albums? God, it's hard. I know to, it's it, tough that, but it's it, it's it's hard to say. It's you know, I think um, I think more than anything else, it's just what kind of would coalesce. Out. I mean, what I always loved about the Human League was, um, you know, the original Human League as well was the the the, the eclectic influences yeah, yeah, yeah. that that were then. Um, uh, manifested in yeah. this sort of yeah, yeah. you know modern up you know cutting edge modern electronic music yeah um and you know i could hear all the um the, you know, the glam rock the, yeah. the glam rock was in there 
the, you know, the, the German, uh, yeah. uh, the German, the, the Krautrock, the yeah. German Electro. Yeah, yeah. Um, even, even prog even rock. A bit, a bit, I was going to say, yeah, a bit of prog rock. And then, you know, um, uh, you know, the Jimmy Webb thing with the, oh, the track, yeah. um, W, Sing Me Jig Tonight. I can never remember the letters. Yeah, absolutely brilliant. It was like a Jimmy Webb song. Oh, thanks, mate. And I remember asking you, I know, yeah, he's, he's the fucking master, isn't he? And then I, I remember, I'm sure I asked you, or I asked somebody like, fucking roof work going on. Um, you know, those big riffs, like, bow, down, down. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Bow, down, down. And I thought, they must have worked them out on a guitar. <laughs> you know, and that, and I, I can't remember if you or I asked or whether it was Phil. And I said, "Did you work out like blind faith and yeah, blind uh, faith, things yeah. like that on yeah, a guitar? Because yeah. it sounds like they just sound like big guitar chords." And I think Phil or you, I can't remember now, just said, "No, we just used the black notes on the keyboard. Cause that's the only <laughs> that, that's that's the only ones we could play. Otherwise, we well, get lost." Or, or, also, <laughs> the cor the Korg had um, two oscillators. It was, it was yeah, 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 yeah. So you get that the big cor sound. Yeah, so it, yeah. Had, it had two oscillators, but you could tune them to fifths and stuff. So that's how. Yeah, yeah, it's, which is the Gary Glitter sound, isn't yeah, it? Or the yeah, glitter exactly, band sound. Yeah, yeah. Let, let's just say the glitter later, band yeah. sound now. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, so like I just thought you know, there's this big sort of rock thing going on there as well. Yeah, know? that's right. That's um, right. So uh, yeah, that was a re that was a revelation. Yeah. So you know there were all these all this eclecticism coalescing into this unified sound. Yeah. So yeah, I always kind of loved that. And then I think you know I came in. Well, Ian came in actually before me and bought this little bit of reggae kind of uh, yeah uh, influence in. And then I think, and I came in with all my bullshit. <laughs> Hardly <laughs> so, you bullshit, know, I'm, I'm, But I'm connecting with, like, you know, I love the glam rock, you know. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, they were listening to uh, Judas Priest and shit. I mean, <laughs> you know, that I'm was my, sure my, introduction, that. my introduction to Judas Priest, really, was via the Human League. <laughs> well, the first gig, the first gig that the Human League did post us leaving... Yeah, they, they played a Judas Priest song, didn't they? Oh, well, yeah, I, well, um, yeah. Together, we'll take on all the world. Yeah, yeah I saw one of those gigs. Yeah, yeah. Um, yeah in fact, I think when we uh, at the end of the day, I saw we actually got a telegram, and um, I think we played in um, Castle Donington somewhere in a big cow shed, a massive, great indoor marketplace, and um, um, we got a telegram from Judas Priest, like, wishing, you know, have a good gig, guys, you know, <laughs> that kind of thing, which is quite sweet. It was really nice. Oh, so cool. they were sort of quite well aware, I think, of... Uh, okay, so let, let's fans. move on to the present day. What are you up to now? Oh, God, well, yeah, self-isolating and being locked down, mostly. But, uh, no, I've been working with... I'm actually working with Ian again. Are you? We're doing some work with Ian. Um, well, I'd started... Um, uh, I'd Burns. started to kind of... Right. Ian Burden, yeah, and um, Jimmy Ray. Remember Jimmy? Jimmy Ray, yeah, yeah, um, yeah. Yeah. singer Jimmy Ray, who I'd worked with our um, a publishing company I was signed to at the time, uh, 19, was like Jimmy's company as well. You know, um, it was Simon Fuller, wasn't it, that, yeah, that yeah. Uh, yeah. had 19. So they put me and Jimmy together, and I think we did about one, we wrote about one song, Jimmy came up here, we wrote about one song, but we got on really well, you know, we yeah. really cracked on. And um, they sort of lost interest in Jimmy because I thought Jimmy was quite a good singer. I thought it's just a bit, a bit different. 
someone doing the kind of boy band thing, but a bit rock and roll. Yeah. Um, and when I met Jimmy, he was the real deal. He was totally into his right. rock and roll and rockabilly. You know, he knew all about it. He yeah. looked cool, dressed the part. So it was always kind of unfinished business with Jimmy, I felt. So I'd been, re I'd, you know, when that, um, a couple of years ago, that League album came out in the, like a box set. Yeah. And it was various different a versions. Very British, of a very British synthesizer band or whatever. It was. Some, yeah, something yeah. like that. And I thought with, when I heard about that coming out, I thought, oh, that would be quite interesting. It wasn't quite what I expected because I thought they'd take maybe a load of unfinished stuff and finish it off. And I, and I got to think, well, I've got all these unfinished things that I started doing with Phil or, uh, you know, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah, probably mostly with Phil or the one that was like an, an outtake from Dare that never got yeah. finished. And, yeah. you know, so I had all these bits and pieces of mostly finished backing tracks, some of which Phil had given titles to. Um, so that it'd be nice to maybe get the best of those and yeah, finish yeah. them off. And, and some other older songs of mine that had only been in uh, in demo form that were quite elect you know electric mixture of electronic and guitar you know that kind of thing yeah so I'd, 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 we'd started um, uh, re-recording those and you know giving him a big a big oh, treat good a, idea yeah. a friend of mine's got uh, works he runs a really great studio in um in a film comp a film studio complex here just in Livingston just outside of Edinburgh. Um, so he gave me an amazing deal in his what would normally be a thousand pound a day studio. He's letting me have it for a few hundred quid a time, you know. So, um, so uh, yeah, we've started uh, kind of working in there. And then, you know, Ian put out his um, solo album a couple of years ago, a few years back as right. well. Right, right. Um, so I got a call from uh, Ian's manager, Richard Hermitage. Would I kind of help out Ian on his album launch? Right. Um, a little album launch in London. So I kind of went down and did that, and I sort of reconnected with Ian. I hadn't seen oh, Ian for nice. quite a long time. And I said to Ian, you fancy doing a bit of bass on what I've yeah. been recording? So so I kind of had Ian on board. And then I, I, bumped, uh, um, uh, I, I hooked up with Jimmy again. Jimmy was up here on a, on a, stag, uh, on a stag weekend with some of his pals. Um, and um, ironically, one or two of them had actually been in the audience in the Lebanon video as well. Right, <laughs> right, right, right. Um, says, oh, I, I was in the audience in the, <laughs> in the Lebanon. She did it in a theatre with a pretend like live situation, you know, in yeah. mind. Um, so, um, so I got Jimmy involved, you know, and um, so that was all going quite well. And then we had a, this guy, a programmer who was in the um, the, the band I've mentioned before, the tribute band, uh, Party Fears 3, they were called. So he was doing a lot of programming and stuff like that, but that didn't really work out. Um, so we got so far with that, and it was going quite nicely. Um, then we had a lot of hiccups, uh, yeah. folks. Um, Graham, the engineer, um, or engineer producer who had the studio, he got really ill. His mom was uh, at death door. So he was really ill and stressed out. So he he was out of the picture for a while. And then the studio had to move as well. Yeah, so yeah. it was like all these uh -huh. things happened around about the same time. So everything stalled. And then just as we're starting to tie the threads back together yeah. again, the fucking lockdown yeah, starts. Yeah. So then we can do nothing. So Graham's been doing a few mixes. I'll send you some along, actually. Would you? I'd um, really yeah. Like to hear them. I'd really We'd, like to hear them. Um, 
I'll, I'll give you some feedback. I mean, that is... Yeah, no, that, well, that, 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 that was my plan, really. We'd, um, you know, we got about four tracks, uh, uh, four tracks finished. Graham's got mixes of three of them. And then we had another two, the backing tracks, sort of fairly well on the way. Um, and, you know, it's kind of coming together quite nicely, and mm. you know, until, uh, until all the... Not the spanner went in the works, the entire yeah, fucking yeah, toolbox, no, you know. No, no, no. Let's not the entire in the works. I'm but, kind yeah, of that, talking about it to be honest. Uh, the whole but oh god, yeah. But um, um, so let's let's move let's move on to um the daft part of the interview, which is uh, Oh yeah, I like the daft yeah, bits. The, 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 uh, I do I do this for everybody. So it's yeah. like a kind of smash it's your favorite things, right? So um so what's your favorite film? It could be any any as as an aside, the guy was Ed Ed Shipton. Ed's a yeah. guy called Ed that, that put us in touch here. Yeah, that's he right. was one of he was one of Jimmy's pals that came up to to that stag night with him. Is all oh, right, okay. Oh, yeah. he survived it then. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your uh, What's your favourite film or one of them? Oh God, it's a tough one. But let's. I'll, it's like films and records. I don't have a favourite no, specific. No, no. Got loads uh, of favourites. But let's let, let's go with uh, Where Eagles Dare. Yeah, Where Eagles Dare. Where Eagles Dare. Let's go blob. with that. <laughs> <laughs> Not the book. Okay, uh, favourite book. One of your favourite books. Oh man, um, I don't know if you're a big reader. I I tend to read non a lot of non-fiction. But. Yes, I tend to do that. I di I did enjoy. Um, Someone gave me this book once and said, uh, oh, you like, because I like airships and technology, yeah, yeah. You know, like retro technology, steampunk yeah. and all that. Someone, yeah. someone gave me this book and said, oh, you like this book. It's got airships in it. <laughs> and you know when someone lends you a book or gives you a book, they keep yeah. asking you, yeah. have you read that book yet? What do you think <laughs> of that book? I'm going to have to read this fucking book. And the book was uh, The Golden Compass. Oh, and right, I'd, yeah, and yeah. I'd, and I started reading it and read the first chapter, and I thought, well, this is like a fucking kid's book. You know? yeah. <laughs> but a chapter in, and I was hooked. Yeah. And I went on to read, you know, the whole three. Yes. And I've watched all the adaptations that yeah, have been yeah, on yeah. TV and film. So I really got into that. I thought that was pretty brilliant. Yeah, good. Um, okay. And I recently, I watched that um, reimagining of Brave New World. Yeah, that was cool. And, uh, you know, Grant Morrison, the comic writer, who's yeah. a friend of mine, I've done some work with him as well. Uh, he, he had uh, musical, uh, not pretensions. He, 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 you know, I did, I did some songs. Some of his songs are recorded yeah. with him and played on. Um, and, um, yeah, Grant was uh, heavily involved in that. And that reminded me of how amazing um, a book that, what, how prophetic a book that was. You're telling me, yeah, yeah, absolutely genius. Okay, favorite TV show, old or new? Oh God, I've been watching a lot of Callan lately. Callan, 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 <laughs> absolutely fantastic. Edward Woodward, Ed, Edward Woodward, yeah, yeah, a lot of Callan. I don't know oh. what I do, but I know what Edward Woodward would. Ed, Edward Woodward, would, yeah, um, <laughs> all that. <laughs> there's some. I mean, there's been a lot of a lot of rubbish, but a lot of pretty good stuff. Uh, uh, I think I team. think the Wicker Man uh, is his peak, you know, uh, Edward Woodward. Oh yeah. right, yes, of course, yeah. It was the in, main character. In the I did watch Break and Rant as well uh, fairly recently. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, okay, so uh, next is um, an epiphanal moment, kind of a moment that changed the direction of your life. Oh God, 
I know that's a tough one, but it's an interesting one. I mean, it doesn't have to be a moment. It could be just like a, a flashbulb moment of inspiration or uh, oh, or realization. God, uh, we can come back to that. If you I want. think perhaps when I decided I wanted to do something. You know, I said earlier, I was, you know, around the shape boots for dancing period, I started to get a bit jaded right. with the guitar. And I thought, I want to learn something new here. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, you know, I didn't want to ditch the guitar, as it were, but I just thought, I need to learn a new instrument or yeah. come at things, come at things, you know, perhaps from the songwriting perspective, because it would do all my writing on the guitar, um, to come at it from a different angle. Exactly. And I thought, I think I thought, Maybe I should take up the saxophone or yeah. something like that. But, but then, I mean, they're synthesizers. I mean, the same thing happens well, yeah, to the human, I, you know. Although I didn't realise it at the time, it was like, um, uh, yeah, getting involved with the Human League. That was that. Uh, yeah, yeah. That was that thing, you know. Exactly. And that day, that day I spent with you. Um, you got show, you know, showed me the yeah. basics and going through the ropes, and we went to the music shop. Yeah. And bought that chord book and all that. <laughs> yeah, that was that was quite a that was quite a big move in a way. Oh, yeah, that, thank you. A I'm lot flattered. of things fell into place, I I'm suppose. Flattered. Yeah. So yeah, quite in, quite instrumental there, Martin. Yourself. Thank you. Yeah. Thank you. Um, other musical artist or composer? Well, we just mentioned the the aforementioned Jimmy Webb. Yeah, um, gotta be. I love um, I love Empire of the Sun at the moment. They're one of my favourite yeah, yeah, uh, bands. Very good. Very good. Um, Still love me glam rock, and I went to the last gig I went to before we were all weren't allowed to go anywhere. I went to see the Sweet in Edinburgh. Oh my! And God. they were there's only Andy the guitar player yeah. left, but they were absolutely brilliant, like yeah. absolutely fantastic. In fact, the two gigs that two of the best gigs I saw that year, um, one was the Sweet, and prior to that, a few weeks prior to that, I went to see the Human League in Glasgow. Did you? And like their their show was. Almost surreal. Oh, they, was, yeah, their productions are pretty, pretty. Oh, it's uh, yeah. yeah. yeah I mean, it's true. almost like an old. You're in an alternate dimension. Yeah, no. Now that that show's just gone. That's right. You know, I've, I've seen about three or four incarnations of the of uh, of the Human League uh, live live show, and it it goes from strength to strength. So yeah. yeah, I was quite sort of blown away by that, and then seeing the suite a few. So that's a good memory before the lockdown. Two of the best gigs I've Excellent. seen in years, you know. Okay, your favourite synth? Now I'm still a big fan of the Juno 106. Yeah. Um, and I like I like my little monitor, you know, the SH101, the SH9. Yeah, I just cute, got one of them a couple of years ago. Now, in fact, it seems recent, but I got one of those little Roland boutique things. Oh yeah, the, 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 the series. The I got their um, SH101. Yeah. You know, I'm um, um, I, I mean, I, I, I'm. Uh, sponsored by Roland, and they give me access to their Roland Cloud, which is the all of it, all their virtual synths. Oh, right. You know, if you're interested, I can introduce you. I'm well, like, I'd love to get their. Oh, yeah, that'd be brilliant. I mean, I'd love to get their little. They do a 106 module as well, don't they? I've got the little yeah. keyboard thing. Yeah, but, they, but the, the, the thing the is, the cloud, they'll give freely to to anybody who's got a you know a, some kind of profile because it's no skin off their nose, is it? All right, it's yeah. Login. And it's like all their virtual synths, all of them. You know. Anyway, like, I'll put you in contact after this. Yeah, brilliant. Um, but Juno one hundred and six for me is uh, takes a lot of beating. Yeah, it's good. It's good. Juno one hundred and six. Um, and finally, um, 
an, uh, an ambition unfulfilled? Oh, God. I don't know. Rock and Roll Hall of Fame. <laughs> <laughs> don't hold no your breath. Chance, no chance of that, yeah. <laughs> I'm not holding my breath. Uh, um, actually, uh, you know, Erasure got into that, didn't they? Did they? I can't yeah, my mate Erasure got into it. Yeah. Well, the, 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 the thing I always remember most about, you know, watching that on TV is the notorious Blondie one where the oh. ex-members did embarrass themselves a bit, you know, I think. Oh, but right. um, yeah, you always yeah. think of that, but... I can't think unfulfilled. Well, I, I think just to do, just to have done better than than what you did, really. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. I think pretty I mean, much. You don't yeah. want to do things. Maybe some sometimes people go. Well, like for me, mine is to do a feature film soundtrack, which I've never. Oh yeah, to. I've done a bit of TV like that, but um, yeah, something like that. Would be, I love working to picture. I think I'd be out of my depth though. You know, with how it all is now. You know. No, you. It's, it's really. It, Somebody else can do. You'd know. You'd know what you were doing. Yeah, yeah. Um, but, yeah. No, you'd know. You would pick it up in no time. Listen, Joe, we've we've rattled on for ages. Yeah, um, yeah, yeah. But it's good. But once it's, you get me going, you know, it's really <laughs> good. To, it's really good to catch up with you. And uh, that's yeah, like why you let's stay in touch, Martin. Yeah, you know, it's, it's one of the great benefits of doing this podcast is getting back in touch with people who I love and respect. You know, so um, likewise, that, likewise. Yeah. Yeah. That's it. So uh, this will be coming out in the next, you know, month or so. So I'll keep you informed. And yeah, you. yeah. And it's everything. just uh, uh, online. I mean, I've never really done the podcast. Thing, I'll send so. you a link, and it's yeah, and you can yeah, you can listen to it on, on get it on your on, computer on or iPad. Yeah, I'll definitely listen out for that. Yeah, brilliant. Lovely to see you. You too, Martin. I hope to see you soon. That was Joe Callis, he of Don't You Want Me Baby fame, and, you know, was part of the band that performed live for, for a long while, um, and uh, you heard the story about how it all fell apart, and yada, 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 we all go through. Look, when you're in the music business for 40 years, you're going to have ups and downs, and go missing for a while, and come back and do stuff, and then don't do stuff, and do other stuff. And that's what's fascinating largely about these podcasts, I think, because we're digging quite deep into their careers and the, you know, I want people to listen to this and go, oh, I had no idea. I wonder where he went and all that. Um, And particularly young people to look at, uh, they often get the interpretation, it's all success or it's all failure and it's not. It's usually, in fact, almost universally a mixture of both. And you've got to learn how to cope with those... um, Ups and downs, really. How is everyone coping during lockdown? Well, by the time this comes out, I reckon the pubs will be open, at least in England, uh, for outdoor and outdoor dining and stuff. So, And the weather should be better. So the mood should be improving somewhat. I'm in a state of flux personally at the moment. My house is in the process of being sold. So I'll be, um, f- you know moving into a, a nice apartment of a friend of mine with my wife soon and uh, looking forward to visiting Venice soon to on the, on the lookout for somewhere to live. Um, yeah, so that's all my news. I hope you're okay. 
Um, as usual, I oscillate between crackers and um, surprisingly normal. I don't know, can't really explain it. But I sh- I'm assured that uh, that's the case with most people. Some more emails. Chris Story. Totally overwhelmed with your amazing podcast. Oh, thank you. Everyone is just totally interesting. As you are into soundscapes, have you had the opportunity to listen to Amazonia by Jean-Michel Jarre? It's a very special experience with headphones, with binaural sound in big letters. Thank you. I shall check that out, actually. John Van Allen from Parallax would be an ideal candidate for Electronically Yours podcast. Uh, he's a devoted fan. I know Parallax. They've sent me some stuff before. They're really good. Um, yeah, so that's a good idea. I'll put that on the list. Uh, Jonathan Pinnock. Massive fan since the 80s here. Thank you. Loving the podcast. Thank you. Especially pleased to hear you name check the great Gödel Escher Bach book by Douglas Hof- Douglas Hofstetter, which is my favourite book, which I'm pretty certain I would have been reading at the very same time as listening to my LP of Penthouse and Pavement. If you like that sort of thing, you might appreciate my mathematical mystery books published by Duckworth. Oh, thank you. Patrick Holm Thisner. Hi, Martin. I've enjoyed all your interviews since Vince Clark and look forward to your new podcast every week. I've been a fan of Hem 17 since, I suppose, 82. You're asking for musicians, women musicians, for your podcast. What about Alison Moye, Annie Lennox, or Anne Clark? Okay, put them on the list. Tracy Roberts from Manchester. <clears throat> Hi Martin, hope you're well. Just finished listening to your Tony Visconti podcast and I all I can say is amazing. What an amazing guy. What an amazing life and what an amazing listen. The time passed so quickly. I was recently hospitalised and listened to your Thomas Dolby and Martin Fry podcasts in my hospital bed. I will get better for the Manchester M17 gig. I'm still buzzing from the Tony V podcast and I know I'll be thinking about it all day. Please do not stop making these. They're helping so many people. Take care. That's very kind of you. Please email me. If you have any comments about the programme, um on electronicallymartin, M-A-R-T-Y-N, at gmail.com. Um, getting a, a, a huge amount of nice email and complimentary and positive, generally positive. A few a few um, comments about maybe I talk too much, which is possible, so I'll try and address that. Um, it's my bloody podcast, can do what I want. That's my other attitude. That's the devil on my shoulder. Um but I've got to acknowledge that maybe sometimes people are more interested in the people I'm interviewing rather than me. <laughs> Never really occurred to me. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? Anyway, um, so there's that. And uh, one particular email really got under my skin because I, you know, I try and do the best I can in these recordings, uh, these podcasts, and really put a lot of effort into it. Uh, myself and Chaz uh, Stook. The Right Honourable Chas Duke Esquire. Um, you know, we've put a lot of effort into this to make it right and uh, <clears throat> entertaining for you. And then I got an email from somebody who said, 
Martin really needs to do it. You know, I, I'll give it five stars because it's really good. But I would have given it six stars if Martin would do some, you know, some proper research. And I'm going, cheeky motherfucker. Do you know how much time I devote to this? And I'm not getting a penny back. It's costing me money to do this. I don't mind that. Uh, or else I wouldn't do it. But um, I think you need to, you know, kind of understand the limitations we're working within here. And maybe it was coming from a good place. You know, a, a place of care and concern. Uh, but I took offence at it. So there you go. <laughs> no, it's just annoyed me slightly. Uh, considering that I, I do try and, you know, I do get occasional things wrong. But um, I'm very interested in... I'm genuinely interested in the people I interview. So um, I improvise a lot. And I think that's the differ- a, diff- a differentiator between what this podcast is about and a lot of the kind of more scripted stuff, uh, which is uh, the majority of the stuff that's out there in, pod- in Podland. Um, and I hope you agree. And if you do agree, let me know. And if you don't agree, let me know. Um, and if you have ideas for the programme, let me know. And if you have ideas for sections on the programme, also let me know. That's it for this week. Love you all. See you next week. Or in fact, you know, I've started doing two a week now, so whenever, in a few days' time. But uh, make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any of them. Bye! <laughs>